When life as you know it is flipped upside down, we struggle to make sense of it all. Why would a good God allow this to happen? Hi, I'm Sherry Pilkington, your host of Finding God in Our Pain. In early 2018, the deepest questions of my life erupted when I unexpectedly lost my husband of 32 years. Since then, I've searched the heart of God for what he has to say about pain and suffering. In this podcast, we'll discover how God enters into our pain, shepherds us through our darkest valley, and out into the green pastures once again. I'll bring you firsthand stories from women who will allow us into their authentic struggle, along with professional advice from experts, counselors, and others who can speak to what it looks like to navigate pain. Join me as we discover God's answers to the deepest cries of our shattered heart. I so enjoyed my conversation with Jenna Erlinson. What a precious, humble, genuine heart. Three adjectives that will not bring a warrior image to mind. And I'll be the first one to admit those qualities offered up to the world would make her an easy target for destruction. But Jenna's secret is submission and obedience. And I know what you're thinking. This just keeps getting worse and it will not go well for her. But let me share with you her secret weapon. It's who she trusts with her submission and obedience that makes all the difference. She has chosen to submit herself at the feet of Christ in a posture of obedience. I know her soft-spoken, easygoing nature may indicate something different about what to expect from her, but after spending some time with her, I have no doubt that the very gates of hell will not prevail over a woman like this. Satan doesn't stand a chance of pulling her head around and persuading her of anything because she intimately knows the one who is the fountainhead of truth, the God of the Holy Bible. She has history with him and knows he is trustworthy. And it's him, God, whom she trusts with her life, and not just her life, but the lives of her family, her husband, and three children. Our conversation focused on Eli, her firstborn son, who has special needs. We talked about her mom challenges, what encourages her heart, her future thoughts for her children, and other things such as what does our self-perceived imperfections mean to God? And she also gave valuable encouragement for other moms of special needs children. I really enjoyed discovering the various things that she's learned about herself as a daughter of God through her challenges as a mom of a special needs child. Jenna might be soft-spoken, but she has the heart of a lioness. She is a woman after God's own heart. What she is depositing and investing in her children will easily see a payoff of a thousand generations or more. Jenna, thank you so much for being on my show today. I appreciate your courage to share your story, your transparency, and I do believe that it heals the hearts of women who will find themselves resonating with a lot of what you say. So thank you for being on today. Thanks for having me. Tell me about your husband. How did y'all meet? And then when did y'all get married? So my husband and I both went to Cedarville University. I don't know if you've heard of that. It's a little Baptist college in Ohio. Okay. And uh, we both play French horn, which is a hot commodity when it comes to college bands, tiny <laughs> college bands. So um, he was two years older than me. He was a junior. I was a freshman. And he was my section leader in like symphonic band. And then he was my stand partner in brass choir. And he didn't talk to me for two and a half months. Like he wouldn't, he would barely look at me. He would not talk to me. And I thought, okay, do I smell bad or did I offend you somehow horribly? Like what, what is going on? Yeah. He was too nervous. He was absolutely nervous. And finally, um, I am known for, I love bright colored shoes and I really love the shoes kangaroos. 
they have the little pockets on the side. Okay. And so I had a bunch of different ones and apparently his grandfather used to sell them. So the very first thing he said to me two and a half months into like sitting next to each other and sharing a stand, he said, I like your shoes. <laughs> so I was like, okay, I know he can talk now. I thought he was cute. And it turns <laughs> out we're really compatible. I accidentally made too many cupcakes when I went home for break and brought him some. And we sat and talked for two hours, just wow. nerding out and just talking. And so he can talk, guys. He can talk. It just really clicked. And we got married two years later, two and a half years later. Very nice. 2008. And yeah, it's been great ever since. 2008. So the fact that you guys played French horn, that is not the the main instruments that people gravitate to when it comes to the band. So you started off with that in common as it is. Funny how God puts things in motion long before the purpose is revealed. Not sure if that's what happened with the French horns, but... Well, there are actually some interesting, weird coincidences like that, that yeah. around it. So I actually really wanted to play the flute, but I couldn't it like tickled or something weird. So I played, right. I also play piano. So they're like, let's just put you on the French horn because that's, we need people who know music already to play French horn. So there's that. And then in high school, I really wanted to learn Spanish because I wanted to go into medical missions. Mm -hmm. But I, with the weird classes that I took, there was absolutely no way that Spanish would fit in my schedule, but German did. And my husband and I are both fluent in German. And really? that's part of why we're like, okay, well, we might have a ministry someday in the future speaking German. And this is really cool. He lived in Scranton, Pennsylvania. And his next door neighbor was my pastor's granddaughter. And like all these weird things that were just like, Gosh. this is weird and creepy and probably not a coincidence. And that his grandfather sold the shoes that you took a liking to. That's even interesting. And it's the first thing he says to you is I like your shoes. <laughs> <laughs> that broke the ice. Yes. <laughs> did you guys plan for a big family? We didn't. We both came into the marriage knowing that having kids was probably going to be difficult. Just due to, um, I have like metal pins in my hips and I have some weird, lovely anatomy issues. And apparently uh, my husband had UTIs as a kid and that could have affected it and all of these different things. So we came in knowing it might be an issue. Maybe not holding out for family as far as children goes, or you're just, uh, you know, taking it day by day. We figured we would try. And then if things didn't come from that, we would start doing adoption. So you did have infertility issues. Mm -hmm. Share a little bit about that with us. I didn't have anything specifically diagnosed um, just because I, I grew up, I have pins in my hips. I had hundreds of kidney stones and they just weren't sure how all of that was going to affect things. And we still don't really know necessarily what caused our infertility, but we do know it was my fault. <laughs> it was mm -hmm. my fault, whatever. How did you react to that when it, you find out it's your fault? It was really hard because we went in for the ultrasound to check things out and see what was there. And I remember the ultrasound tech, she was trying to be nice, but she's like, this isn't why I wanted to do this. I wanted to find babies. And this is not right. the reason I wanted to do this. And like, it was her way of saying like, I empathize with you and I'm sorry, but it was a painful thing to hear. And for me, it was a lot of God, you created me a woman and I'm created to bear children. That's one of my 
purposes of being a woman. And I can't do that. It's not happening. There's something wrong with me. And that was really probably the hardest part of the infertility struggle for me. It sounds like you're putting it out there like, Lord, you created me a woman, but then you withhold my ability to have children. But what were some of the other either pain points or the questions that you had for God? What were you pressing into him for at that time? It's, it it sounds terrible when I talk about it, but you know, we're all human and we all have those terrible thoughts. So just so you can all uh, know you're not alone when you have these terrible thoughts, but I was like, God, we have a really great marriage and there are girls out there that aren't married having kids. Why, why can't we? Or we were really responsible with our finances and like we're in a really good spot to have a, a family and to provide really well for these kids. And there are people out there who aren't in as good of a spot as us. Why them, not me? Right. And there was a lot of comparison going on. That sounds fair. I think a lot of times um, when we question God, we feel like bad, you know, feel shamed, you know, we'll shame ourselves because God doesn't shame us. But I believe that's part of the journey of discovering who God is for us in our pain. And that's to question him and to dig deep. As believers, we have the framework to question God. Were you, you know, using any of the scripture either to question God or were you using scripture to help you move through the infertility? I, I did all a lot of looking at like Job and trying to understand, okay, so he questioned God and he wasn't the biggest thing that came to me is God never actually gave him an answer. <laughs> it was just, who are you to question me? And I don't think it was like a, who are you to question me? But it was, right. who are you to question me? Look at these amazing things that I've done right. and just proving how amazing God is and all of his creativity and, and the things that he has control over and um, all of that was enough for Job to be like, okay, I'm not going to question anymore because I know you are way more than I could ever possibly imagine. And that was enough for him. So that was one of the biggest things that I was finally getting to when I turned the corner past the bitterness and the anger. How did you lay down the bitterness and the anger? What did you do to enter into peace or enter into surrender? One of the biggest things I did was journal and get it out physically and to process it and then to be able to go back and look at it and then see it from God's perspective. I would write it out, all the things I was feeling, and I would pray and ask God to come with me again as I go through and read it. And he would either be like, okay, here, I'm going to give you some peace on this and just know that I'm with you. Or, okay, that's ridiculous or a lie, you know, lies I tell about, tell myself and, and God would reveal those lies as I read through them. And it was kind of like being able to give me a whole new perspective. So I got it out. So I got the ick out and physically right. out and finally, um, releasing it instead of holding it in. And then I would go back over it with new eyes and fresh heart. That's important to get it out because the body will try its best to deal with anxiety and stress and fear and emotions that we do not let out. So if getting it down on paper or simply talking to God um, and giving him all that you have to me, that is part of the process of dealing with frustration and pain and anguish 
and that is to process it. Did you feel safe with God when you would lay out these things and God would say, well, sweetheart, that's a lie. That's not me. And did you feel safe revealing the fact that you believe a lie about God? I, I think so. I've, it helps that I've had a really long relationship with God and lots of through different things. Like I was talking about those pins in my hips and those kidney stones and, um, just dealing with body image issues and all of that, the stuff that God walked through with me before this was almost like he was preparing me for it in some ways. Cause he knew it was coming mm. and I was able to look back and be like, okay, God got me through that. God got me through that. God got me through that. And he's built so much into my life that I always feel safe with him. Even when my surroundings don't look that way. So you have these memorial stones, experiential events in your life that God showed up, showed himself faithful. And that's what you're standing on recalling, questioning him, maybe with the journaling, like, Lord, you did this before. Why is this happening type thing? So you can kind of press into him by what you've already experienced with where you're at now. Is that what you're saying? Yep, exactly. And that's good. That's good. Uh, That's foundational to be able to walk out genuine real life faith with an experiential God. So as you're trying to conceive, you're struggling with infertility, you're questioning the Lord, what shifts, what transpires? So like I was talking about before, I was really struggling with my identity as a woman, being able to bear children for my husband. And then um, my husband was also kind of having a little bit of an identity crisis where he was realizing, okay, I think it's time. I think God's moving us in a new direction, but I don't know what that is. He got computer animation for a second degree. And we went out on a trip to LA to go see if that was a place to move to. Cause with a computer animation degree, you have to live in a city that people actually will hire you. They don't hire people from the cornfields of Ohio to do things like work on movies. <laughs> so um, we went out there to check it out and we sat in the terminal at the airport and we prayed, God, please make it abundantly clear if it's time for us to move on to right. something new. Mm-hmm. And within hours of landing in LA, my husband got a call that the company he was working for was getting rid of 30 people and he was one of them. Wow. So God really answered that question. That's abundantly clear. Abundantly clear. So we're thinking, oh, this is great timing. We don't have kids. We can move out wherever. I'm a nurse, so it's not a big deal for me to switch jobs or anything like that. So we thought, okay, this is a science time to move. And then we got back and we're starting to look at jobs and interviews and all of that. And I realized, okay, I'm not feeling super great. And I thought I really struggle with jet lag and we ate junk the whole time because we were visiting my brother and he felt so bad that my husband lost his job that he made it like the epic, epic (laughs) vacation. And so we're eating junk and jet lag. And I was like, I'm not feeling so great. And because of whatever was going on, my hormones, I had to prove I wasn't pregnant Mm. to take a medication every three months just to prevent risk for cancer. So I took the test a little early because we were going to lose our insurance and lo and behold, (laughs) there's a baby. You would think that a nurse would have figured out that she was pregnant (laughs) by this point. I really think that this was a moment where God said, okay, I'm taking away your financial stability. 
Mm. Your marriage is the little rocky right now because you're both having identity crises. Right. And I'm the one that picked this timing because I want you to know that this baby is mine and I'm the one that provides for it. Mm. I'm just letting you be involved in that. It was just a huge moment of, and, and it almost felt like God was saying that to me when I found out I was pregnant. I was like, why now? Like, why mm. this? And he's like, because you told me, your marriage is great. And you told me that you're financially stable. Well, and I'm going to take all that away and prove to you that I'm the one that oh. does all of this for your family. Wow. That's good. Mm. And he really has. <laughs> that's so good. Like, despite what it may look like and despite what it may feel like, the truth is God's still the foundational piece. Everything is for him, through him, to him, by him, and he sustains it all. So you're excited now. Well, are you excited? Because like you said, there's some, <laughs> there's some identity crisis going on in the house. There's no job and you're pregnant. I panicked. I absolutely panicked. I'm an oncology nurse. So I had to tell my boss right away because you can't do chemo and stuff when you're pregnant or some people can. I chose not to. I had to go into work and I was, I was so nervous. I forgot to wear deodorant that day. So now I'm nervous. I'm not wearing deodorant. <laughs> it's very obvious. I'm freaking out. God actually really took care of me there too, because I was working uh, part-time and they were able to make a, a job for me where I could work full-time and we could get insurance and all of that. So God really took care of everything in there. But yeah, it took me a little bit to get excited because I was just, not that I wasn't excited. I was just really nervous. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You had a lot going on, a lot filtering into that and leaning into God to deliver all those things. And not like you didn't think he would, but you still have to walk out reality. Yeah. And it still impacts your thought process. Like, I think that's why the Lord says to renew your mind every day, because you get back in the word, you get back into that quiet time with him, you get back into that relationship with him, purposeful, focused on him. And I think that's where I get my refreshing from and the ability to do another day, regardless of what's going on around me. That reminds me of what I did was, and I've done this for all three of my kids now, was I decided to memorize a chapter of the Bible for each kid, depending on whatever's going on in my life at the time. And then that's become part of what I pray over them. And so his was um, Philippians 4. can do all things the Christ who strengthens me. And that's what I needed for that. And I've used that to pray over him since then. That's beautiful. So you picked that verse out when you found out you were pregnant and that's just what you spoke over him? Mm -hmm. Yep. And continue to speak over him. I'm like that, that I love you forever. I'll like you for always book where I sneak in and I snuggle them and I pray over them. Oh. And, and that's Eli, my oldest. Mm -hmm. That's his verse. I didn't realize the power and the authority that a mother has this position of interceding for her children, praying over her children, speaking things. It's the most powerful tool really that anyone has, but definitely for a mother to constantly be prophesying something over them based on the word, based on what God's telling you for them, leading them into the area that God has for them rather than trying to make them who you are. So you have your Bible verse for your oldest son and you're speaking that over him even today. Did that strengthen you in the process of speaking these words over him? Absolutely. Cause I actually memorized the entire chapter of Philippians four and wow. it just helped me to, really dig into those, you know, Paul talks about how he knows how to be in want and in plenty and all of those things and all of the promises in 
Philippians 4. And so, yeah, it was for my son and for me as well, because I didn't know how to be a mom. (laughs) And especially in a time like this, it was a scary time for me in general, going from infertility, then straight into, nope, not infertility. We don't know what our future held, except for a baby. It was a big bonding experience with me and God, where I put my trust in him. He poured his promises over me. I showed him that I'm willing to dig into that relationship and he reciprocated. It's not like a reciprocation between friendships. It's like I pour myself a little bit into God and he just floods into me. And it was the beginning of of a, a new turn in my relationship with God of me understanding I'm made strong in my weaknesses because God shows up and he's the one that can take over when I'm weak and willing to give that to him. I'm so much a better mom because of what he taught me during my pregnancy with um, my husband was away a lot with freelance gigs, trying to get some extra income. And there was a moment where we thought we were going to lose my baby when he was actually gone. I got up for work and I went to the bathroom and there was blood everywhere. And so we thought we were losing him and I was by myself Mm -hmm. and we did not lose him. Different scary moments where normally I would use the security that I'd built up around myself And God chose all of those moments when all of those securities were gone to prove to me that he's with me the whole time. He's got it. So if, if we had lost our baby, God would have proven to me that he was with me then it, Mm. when he answers no or yes, he's still with me and he's still good. And he showed all of that through this time. Amen. You know, when you're talking about, it doesn't matter whether it's good or bad or up or down, God is still with us. Mm Mm-hmm. I like that because it's comforting to know that he's not going to leave you when things get tough. He's not going to bail out on you when you're not acting right or saying the right things. And that's very comforting, I think, to anyone who's struggling. You're not alone. The fact that he removed all of your safety nets, if you will, your support system to show you that he's got you. He's going to take care of this. You mentioned three children. So tell me a little bit more about how you progressed into your second child. Our second child was... A surprise. (laughs) Um, We were actually in the middle of trying to figure out my oldest has special needs. And we were starting to notice that he was not tracking developmentally with the rest of his peers at about seven or eight months. We were in the middle of investigating, okay, what's going on? Is it something with his hearing? Is it something with his eyes? Or is there more going on? According to the doctor, his head was really, really tiny. Um, And so there was a lot of concern about, you know, microcephaly or something with his brain. So we were getting ultrasounds and MRIs and all of that. And the only thing that came back was that the myelin sheath in his brain was a little delayed in forming for non-medical people. That's the, like the insulation to the nerves. It's harder for the electrical impulses to travel along the nerves if you don't have that myelin sheath. So it's not necessarily like brain damage or anything like that. It's just a sign that the electrical impulses are having a harder time traveling through his brain. And that's all we know. And we went to see a neurologist and she was very, well, this could mean that he'll never talk and never walk, or it could mean he'll be completely normal. We just don't know, but I would not suggest having any other children. And to me, that was, that made me mad. Cause that was like mm-hmm. telling me that my son wasn't worth being born. Right. And she's like, you know, we could have done these genetic tests for you to find out beforehand. And I'm like, well, that wouldn't have changed anything. Right. And she got quite upset with us because we refused to get more genetic testing to figure it out. 
And I'm like, I don't want to spend my whole life being worried about something that I don't know is or isn't going to happen. Right. So as a nurse, I know what to look for if things get dangerous. I know how to assess my child and God gave me these skills, I think for a reason right. as his mom, we can watch for anything like that. And we haven't had any issues with that since no heart issues or anything that she was concerned about, but she said, don't have any more children. I wouldn't have any more children. This is a sign that you have a genetic, whatever. <laughs> Three weeks later, we found out we were pregnant with our <laughs> second kid. <laughs> go back and tell her. I was so mad. I refused to, to go back. I get it. And it was a hard conversation to have, but it was the way she said it and the way she made me feel about how she valued my son Right, was not typical and did not act like a typical child. He is not less than he is not worthless just because he thinks and acts differently and may not have the skills that other people have. So there's a whole grieving process with that as well, which I know that's not actually the question. What were you talking about when you say the grieving process? So there, this is a hard thing to talk about because it, and, and I'm glad we're actually talking about this because people are afraid to talk about it. Mm -hmm. And, um, especially special needs moms that feel so alone. And right now, special needs moms need a lot of prayer because of all the changes in schooling and all of that, we're trying to navigate all of that stuff and then add the element of a special needs kid and trying to deal with their emotions and stuff too. I read a poem. Someone gave me a poem. She was trying to explain what it feels like to have a special needs kid and to have that grieving process. The poem basically says that you pack this trip for Italy and you plan for this big vacation and you get on the plane and that's where you think you're going, but you end up in Holland. Hmm. And so you were prepared for Italy but you're in Holland and Holland is beautiful, but it's not Italy and it's not what you were prepared for. Everybody else is in Italy, but you're in Holland. And just having to grieve that, you have to grieve the dreams that you had for your child to be able to let go of that. Because one thing God really showed me, my other two children are typical. I don't know their future just as much as I don't know Eli's future. And part of me was grieving because I don't know if he's going to grow up to be able to be self-sufficient or okay. if he'll be able to have a family, if we're going to have to care for him his whole life, or if he's going to be independent at all and grieving all of that. But I was like, I don't, I don't know anything about the future of my other two either, just because mm -hmm. they're typical. I know just as much about the future of both of them. Mm -hmm. And so that was different things that God moved and worked in me and my control freakness through <laughs> my grieving of this. And, and it's not that I am sad that Eli's mine and I'm not regretting being his mother in any way, shape or form. If anything, he has changed me and shaped me in ways that I could have never imagined. And I'm so thankful for him and, and God showing how he times everything and put him in our family for a reason. There's a grief in that, but joy in other places too. So it's not all sad being a special needs mom. There is grieving that and then finding out you're pregnant at the same time was, was a little bit of a shock. Right, right. Do you think it's important to grieve and to celebrate? I feel like it's important to grieve things that break your heart and not act like they didn't happen. And I feel like it's important to remember to celebrate the things that might be taken as ordinary or typical for the day. Do you find any, do you find any time to do that with three children? Yeah, I do. Because the boys are so close in age, it was like having twins for a while. <laughs> they potty trained at the same time. They started talking at the same time. And in some ways they're still developmentally similar, even though they're a little less than two years apart. I hear people complaining about how their kids talk so much. I sit here and I think a year ago, 
Eli wasn't doing this mm-hmm. or when he first started talking, I was like, I, I waited to hear mama for a lot longer than mm-hmm. most people. And to hear my children's voices, mm-hmm. it completely changes my perspective. I don't get as annoyed as other parents because I waited so long to hear it. And I realized how much of a miracle it is that all three of my children talk all the time. You know, it just changes my perspective with that. So yeah, that there's definitely walking, talking, dancing, little milestones seem huge. And we celebrate all of them because they're just all testaments to how God can do miracles, no matter how scary the situation looks. What is your experience with God as far as we see imperfection, but he does not? That's not his value system. That's something I've struggled with for myself for my whole life, Hmm. but never in other people. I've always been able to find value in other people. And part of that is because we're all made in the image of God. And so each little character trait of people is a snippet of God. We can't all carry all of his facets because we're not God. I am much more of the mercy aspect and the empathy aspect of God's character. Well, as my husband is more of the justice and logic aspect of God. And when we work together, we make a really cool team because we carry different parts and being able to look at different people and say, okay, I can see this part of God in you. And that brings me joy. But for some reason, I have really struggled my whole life with seeing the value of myself. Why am I worth it? You know, Mm -hmm. I see all of my flaws magnified, but other people I'm willing to give them grace and forgiveness and and look over those imperfections to see the beauty and, and relish in that. But for me, it's always, I focus on the negative and not the positive, which has been a huge battle. Well, it's a common one. I think what pulls you out of that place of being hard on yourself? Is there anything that you grab a hold of? Scripture, worship, music, prayer, quiet time with the Lord? Well, music is always helpful, the good worship music. The biggest thing that I have to do is remind myself who God is, Mm. and that proves my worth. Because like I said, we're created in God's image, and we are his children, when we look at the value of God and how he claims us into that family, Mm -hmm. then that brings up my, my value. And I think that that is part of why Satan wants to lie. (laughs) So I just was having this crazy conversation with my five-year-old about Satan and he's asking really good questions. And he's like, why does Satan do this? And one of the things that I think personally, and this is not biblically so, (laughs) me, But he was angry at God for throwing him out. And so his way of retaliating at God is to destroy the things he loves the most. Mm -hmm. And so if he wants a daughter of God to hate herself, then therefore hating the image of God. If you hate someone, you're hating the image of God. And so to dig deep and figure out who is God and why is that important? Because he created me in his image that makes me special. And a big thing that happened to me recently, my youngest is a little girl and I had no idea what to do with a girl. (laughs) I have three older brothers, no sisters. My husband's family hasn't had a girl in 60 years. So all of a sudden there's this girl and pink everywhere. (laughs) I don't know what to do with this. I don't know how to be a good daughter. 
So how do I raise a daughter? You know, different things of that. There was one day where I was really struggling with, I don't look the way I want to, or I'm not as successful in something. I actually just stepped away from my nursing job for a while. And that was giving up a part of my identity there. Mm -hmm. And so all of these things of who am I right now? Mm -hmm. Uh, In the middle of this quarantine, COVID craziness, I don't have my job and I lost myself a little bit in being a mom because I'm caring for so many different people. Who am I right now? And I was getting ready. I get up early and my little girl walks in the room with her like bright pink cheeks from the bed and her crazy bedhead hair and her nice... (laughs) warm, cozy jammies. And Mm -hmm. she walks in and just looks at me and smiles. Mm -hmm. And all of the sudden, this, this could only have been from God. It was almost painful of this mixture of emotions that I had for her. It was overwhelming of like adoration, joy, Mm -hmm. love, compassion, all of these things, mercy, grace, everything just poured out of me toward her. Mm -hmm. And it, it only lasted a second because I don't think I could have physically held on to that joy and pain. It was so painful because it was so much. Right. And God, I, it just felt like he was whispering, that's how I feel about you. And that moment of like, you feel that all the time about me. Like I can't even handle that for 30 seconds for right. my daughter without wanting to fall to the floor and weep. And he feels that about everybody. Mm. And that's why he does what he does for us. Just knowing that when I feel pain, he feels that because he felt all of those emotions for me. And when I do something that pleases him, how immense joy that gives him, we can't even fathom how much he feels for us. Mm -hmm. And that was a huge change. Just this, you know, this was only a couple of weeks ago. So there's still a lot of change going on right now with that. But just having that, this is how I feel about you. I created you in my image, just like your daughter is created in your image. This is this is how I feel. And that has really changed a lot of how I view and even read the Bible right now, just knowing like the love letter that came from that, that he put that there for us. That's changed so much of how I view myself and people in general. And that is huge because seeing ourselves as his daughter, that's identity. Identity changes everything. Identity dictates everything. So finding out more of who God is and how he feels about us definitely builds that solid foundation to stand on and to venture out into life, to make mistakes and still have a place to return to and be able to either pour out your sorrow about having made a mistake or ask for forgiveness and you're safe in that environment. For me, there's no comparison for that. Initially, you had said there were some identity problems going on in your home. Did that help settle down as you got children and you began to interact with them in the parent-child role? Does that help? I would say in the sense of I understand God a little bit better now that I am a mom and that relationship as his daughter. Mm -hmm. Um, And then kind of to go back to that story just a little bit, Mm -hmm. when I felt that for my daughter. It wasn't because she had cleaned my house or made me dinner or done anything for me. She just was there. And I think there was an important timing of that too. She turns two on Sunday. So she wasn't even two yet. She can't do anything for me. I'm doing everything for her right now. All she had to do was just be there. And Mm -hmm. that was a reminder of God saying, "You, you don't have to do anything for me to feel this way. You just have to be. I would say that my identity issues did not get better with being a mom because that would be kind of saying that my identity would have 
been because I was a mom. So mm-hmm. it, I'm not putting my identity in my motherhood or in my job or anything like that. I'm careful to make sure that I'm not putting my identity in anything that I have done or that I can physically lose. I hope not, but there could be a day where I lose all of my children and I'm no longer an acting mom or they grow up and move out of the house and it's a different role. Or with my job, you know, God asked me to step away. So I lost that part of my identity, but I didn't lose my identity Mm. because whatever I have in this life that can be taken away is not part of my identity. That's one of the things that God's been showing me in that is I'm making this part of who you are. It is part of how I need you to be, but it is not your identity. So it's been a walk in trying to find the balance of finding myself in the different roles that I am. Not because I became a mom, but through the fact that I became a mom, God is showing me more and more how he's pieced me and made me and created me and the different talents that I have and, and starting to weave them into a little bit of a tapestry of, of seeing that and then growing in my relationship with him, because I understand how frustrated he must get with me. (laughs) It's brought on a whole new part of repentance with (laughs) with understanding that. No, I get that because I remember one time uh, it was a little guy and his snotty nose. He was tired. My boy was upset, crying, wouldn't listen to what I was saying. All of a sudden, I just felt this download in my spirit. That's you, sweetheart. And I was like, what? But I had been fighting the Lord on something, whining, carrying on about it. And I got a physical vision of how I was acting spiritually toward the Lord. Mm-hmm. Have you ever had that happen with your kids? Oh, every, every day. <laughs> <laughs> Even those are teachable moments. As a matter of fact, if I remember correctly, the Lord would correct me through my children. Uh, Even looking at that parent-child bond and how he felt about me, I would even get correction uh, and even revelation through how my children were acting based on how I perceived that as a parent. Have you ever experienced that? There's a lot of times where there's coincidences of of some issue that comes with my kids. And, And one of the biggest ones was back in March when all of the shutdown stuff started happening. And that was probably the hardest six weeks of my life when that started. My son did not handle the sudden loss of school and structure and the anxiety of what is going on. He didn't understand and he just wanted to hold on to control. And so when he lost whatever he was trying to control, whether it be he wanted to choose what show we were watching, or if I had to say no to something that he desperately wanted, then he would just lose it to the extreme. And there were six weeks of me trying to hold on and keep it all in check and deal with virtual school for a kindergartner, which was really difficult. You, you would think it's kindergarten. It's not that big of a deal, but trying to be a secretary for my kindergarten child and then deal with trying to do online therapy with two other small children trying to balance naps. I would try to plan naps so that I could do the therapy at the same time and it would have less interruptions and that would never happen. And I would lose my mind because nothing I was planning was going the way I wanted it to. And I was having just as many tantrums as him. And finally, there is one day where God's like, you just gotta chill out is the only thing coming to mind, but stop (laughs) trying to control everything. As soon as I realized that I needed to let God have it back was when 
progress started happening, but it took six weeks. I don't know how I lasted six weeks. It's strong will, man. I, my children got my strong will, but six weeks of torture, basically of of trying to do it all. Then finally God woke me up and I finally listened and, and things started changing for the better. Tapped you on the shoulder one more time and said, baby, are you ready to give that to me? That's usually what he does to me. Like, honey, are you tired of hanging on to that? Cause you're wearing yourself out. Yeah. <laughs> Can I help you? Yeah. So surrender. A lot of people are, at least I have heard it said surrender is a weakness. I don't see it that way. Surrender to me. Well, I tell you what, you tell me the power of surrender or do you even see it that way? There's two things that I think of with surrender and one is struggle and one is letting go. And of course, letting go is hard for me because I'm a control freak and I want to prove that I can do it. So there's that pride thing in there too. It's hard to let go, but I think it's, it's remembering that God uses our weaknesses better. And there's a book that just came out. I think it just came out by Nancy Guthrie. And the title is God does his best work with empty. Hmm. And it talks about how God made the earth out of nothing. He does best work with empty vessels that he can fill them better and prove his glory more through our emptiness than through our strength. It's one of those, we're not of this world, so it doesn't make sense to the world things. So for those who are not Christians and don't love Jesus, it is going to look like weakness because by the world's standards, yes, it's weakness. But to God, it's when he can be the most powerful. And therefore we are the most powerful because that's when the Holy spirit can really use us the way he's intended to. When we get out of the way, big things happen. Yep. (laughs) Good things happen. Beautiful things happen. Let's back up a little bit and speak to the hearts of mamas who have a special needs child. How can we encourage them today? What has been your biggest uh, pain point or struggle? I think the hardest painful thing for me is right now he's starting, just now starting to understand that he's not the same as other kids. And watching him be a little bit confused on they don't like me the way they like other kids and they don't know how to respond to me well and and there's something different about me. So he's starting to see that. And I was waiting to see when this would happen because he's still little. We were talking about how some people are not nice to people who are different mm. and because they don't understand them. And I saw him start realizing that's me. I'm the different one. Mm. And that I don't know how to navigate this. I honestly, I'm at this point. I'm, I, I'm, we're starting to get there. I want to do this well. So I don't really have any advice or resources for that, but just to know that you're not alone. If anyone wants to reach out to me, I'm, I'm here to talk if you want to talk about it, or if you just need to to process with someone who understands that pain. That has been the hardest part for me is, is realizing he's not going to have the friendships, at least not yet, that other kids have. And thankfully he goes to a really great school that all the kids seem to be more understanding and less mean about that. So I don't think he gets picked on, but there's always that. That would be really hard for me to watch and, and stand by and not do things I would regret later <laughs> to right. those children. You know, I can take the stuff that seems more directed at me, right. like this is your fault or whatever. I mean, there are times where I deal with 
it was this my fault? Did I do something wrong that caused this for him? There's a lot of that guilt. The hardest thing for me has been watching him slowly realize that he is different. Have you uh, come to any healing through the questions of, of guilt or regrets? Have you healed in those areas? And if so, in what way? So one of the biggest things from the Bible, and let me see if I can find the exact chapter, but I was working on an, an episode about something completely different. And let's see if I can find it. There was the blind man that people were asking Jesus, is he blind because he sinned or because his parents sinned? And Jesus said, neither. He's blind so that he can show the glory of God. Mm. And also the story of Elizabeth. She had infertility issues. And I'm sure, you know, she was the wife of a priest. People back then thought that infertility was a sign of hidden sin. In the Bible, it specifically says that she and her husband were blameless. Mm. But that God picked this timing for that. And so God brought both of those stories to my life to show me he's not this way because you messed up. He's not this way because you did something bad when you were 12. There's no sin that could cause this. And it's not a punishment for my past mistakes. That's not the way God works. There's biblical proof that this is not the way God works, but that Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit are going to use all of these things that to the world look like blemishes and and use them to glorify God. So that to me was a promise that whatever is coming with Eli, that God's going to do amazing things because he always does amazing things with these situations to prove that his glory to the world. God never shows up empty handed. So when you think about Eli's life, how can God be glorified with Eli's life? So one of the really funny things about Eli is that he is in love with old men. (laughs) (laughs) There's just something he's got that he's got just a smile that melts your heart Mm -hmm. and he knows when people are hurting and he'll unabashedly go up to you and grab your hand. A couple of weeks ago, he knew that I was stressed out about a bunch of different things happening, too many plates spinning. And I went to my bathroom to get ready and he's just really empathetic. He, he can mm-hmm. tell when people are upset mm-hmm. and, um, it makes me almost cry thinking about it. So mm-hmm. I was basically on the verge of tears anyway, just be overwhelmed with responsibilities. Mm-hmm. And I came out and he had, he had gotten a chair and gotten plates down and cups down and he had set the table for dinner. Mm. He cleared everything off the table. Now he didn't put them where they're supposed to go, but he cleared off the table completely. He got a little bit of water to wipe it down and he set each table and put a napkin and silverware and everything in those spots, just in the time that it took me to, to get ready. And it's those little moments that that he knows he has this weird innate ability to know what people are feeling and and empathetic. And that makes it hard for him because sometimes he has trouble navigating. Are these my feelings or someone else's feelings? And he does take those moments to just blow me away with, with love and, and Mm. trying to help comfort. Mm. That's sweet for him to be uninhibited about being empathetic or holding someone's hand when he can tell that they're sad We need more of that for sure. That's truly God's heart. Is there anything else that you want to share 
about your experience or speak to the hearts of mamas who do have special needs children, how can you encourage a mama today? One of the biggest things that has helped me, and this applies to anyone with any type of situation that's hard, that seems long, mm. and, and the endurance aspect of a trial. There's times where it's a trauma and it's quick and it's over. You still deal with the pain of that, but the the danger is over. But then there's other things like infertility or job loss or special needs kids where it's an endurance training that you need to look at the short and long-term changes. Like I was thinking, talking about how last March I was at the end of myself because of tantrums and how I, I was really struggling with him and his emotions. And now I'm like, I think he's had maybe three tantrums since October. And just being able to look back and say, okay, this is where he was last year. This is where he is now. And be able to see those huge changes. Right. To see that there is hope. There is forward progress. There is change. And you can do that short term. He's starting to read now. And six months ago, he he had maybe three sight words. And now he can read a whole Dick and Jane Right. Like a whole quarter of Dick and Jane to me. And I didn't know he would be able to do that ever. Those little victories, you got to celebrate the victories and point them out to your child. You got to build into their confidence because when we put those boundaries on them and say, you can only do this and nothing more, then that's not helpful to them. Push mm-hmm. them a little bit, reestablish expectations as you recalibrate and get to know them and they grow and mature a little bit more. But to be able to look at those big changes, those victories and celebrate them with yourself, of course, but also with your child to help build that confidence Mm -hmm. that reminds you of God's faithfulness. It reminds you that you've got this, you can keep going. It'll give you that little extra boost as you're continuing to try to endure through this trial. Find those cheerleaders on the sidelines that are there to help you keep going. What is your heart's desire for for your three children? that they love Jesus is the biggest thing. And, Mm -hmm. and from there, I try not to have expectations. I don't know for Eli. I don't know what his future holds in the sense of there are times where, you know, like I told you with the table thing, I think, okay, he, he can be fine on his Mm -hmm. own. And other times I'm like, there's no way, which Mm -hmm. I'm sure every parent says that about their six-year-old child anyway. (laughs) I'm sure there are times where people are like, how am I going to raise this into an adult? (laughs) You know, (laughs) that's just normal. (laughs) And I think that several times about my other children, which are typical, my biggest hope is that they love Jesus and that he takes it from there, that he gives me the tools to help raise them into what he designed them to be, that I don't get in the way. My other two children are not just typical, but they are advanced. It's hard for Eli to see that his brother that's two years younger than him is at the same levels as some of the kids older than him in class and stuff like that. So there's that, but there's no competition. They have such a great relationship. That's helpful. But, you know, it's easy for me to say for Eli to just let his future be whatever God's worked on that with me, but I don't want to dream for Isaiah and Leonor for them to to have this future that God doesn't want for them. So I want them to love Jesus. I want what Isaiah says. I want to be part of God's story and that I want that for them. I want them to be part of God's story, not part of what my story is for them or what I think they should be, but for me to help direct them and and teach them to listen to God's voice and to be able to take direction from him. That's my biggest Mm -hmm. job. And that's really important to me, actually so much so that I'm 
starting the journey of writing a book about that. I'm at the very beginning baby stages of that. So I'm going to be learning a lot about that in the next (laughs) probably three years of however long it takes me to write a book with three kids. But (laughs) that's the biggest thing is I want to be able to teach them to listen to God, to take orders, to, to fight the battle well, and whatever that means for them to, to give them the tools for that so that they can leave my house having at least the beginning of the tools right, right. for that journey. Hmm. Can't ask for more than that as far as pointing them in that direction, equipping them in every way. Is there anyone, any particular thing that God said to you, shared with you, spoken to your heart that was just beautiful, almost life-saving for you? Which time? <laughs> I know, really. <laughs> you know that. There's several different situations. Anytime, really, but if there's anything that sticks out, a revelation about him that was beautiful to you in a moment when you really needed it or something that has stuck with you. The, the biggest thing that I always come back to it, when I'm like, why can I trust you now, God, is that we have to look at the past and see where he's been faithful And that's why we can know that we can trust him in the future. Mm -hmm. And so we can take that personally in the sense that I look back and I think of all the things that God did, all the things that he did to direct me and rescue me and make it very clear that he is a part of my life. And that's one big thing that everybody needs to do is intentionally look for God in their life. Because if you ask him to show up, he's going to show up abundantly. So yes, I need to, to look at my past and what God has done to know that I can trust him in my future. But that's also why he gave us the Bible too. We can look at how God got Job through it. We can look at how God got David through it. We can look at God's parting the Red Sea, all of these different things where God proves that he can do it. And he's done it throughout history and through our own lives. And that's the whole journey that I've had trying to understand faithfulness. And and that is what it keeps pointing back to is mark those moments where God has proven himself to you so that you can look back at them and know that he's got your future too. Is there a Bible verse that you hang on to? There's a lot of promises in Isaiah in general where he's nervous about where God's taking him. Kind of like now there's a lot of unknowns and tension and all of that. And so Isaiah 41:10 says, "So do not fear for I am with you. Do not be dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand." And And none of that says you need to be strong and you need to know what you're doing and you need to wield these weapons. But the only thing that God tells him to do is not fear. Mm -hmm. That's the only requirement of anything that God asks us to do. And so I feel like God's asked me to write this book. I don't feel qualified to write this book. I'm not a Bible scholar. I am not a parental expert. I am definitely not an author, you know? So all God asks me is don't be afraid because I'm going to do all the rest for you. You just have to write it with me. I'm going to hold you in my hand. I am going to give you the strength. I will be the one that fights for you. Mm. All you have to do is not be afraid and stick with me. 
And so that's one of the big verses. And there are a lot of verses with promises like that throughout the Bible, but that's the one that often comes. And that's actually part of why I picked the name Isaiah for my second son. So, Mm -hmm. you know, there's, there's just a lot of promises in that verse. Well, may the Lord continue to put his right hand on you and say to you, fear not, and that you might write that book and uh, not, and that you will write that book and it will be a beautiful resource and an encouragement to many, many people. Thank you, Jenna. I appreciate your time today. You have been an absolute jewel with the information that you've shared and the encouragement that you've given. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having me and giving me adult conversation. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for your time and for sharing this experience with my guest. I hope you have found encouragement for today and a deeper revelation of God's heart in the midst of pain and suffering. We'd love to have you as a subscriber to finding God in our pain so that you can be connected with all my guests as they share their personal experiences and professional knowledge about pain and suffering. And because this podcast is a division of the website, A Life of Thrive, for more information and the various ways you can connect with us, please please visit the website, alifeofthrive.com. I look forward to sharing more transparent stories from the hearts of women who intimately know what it means to have their world flipped upside down, their authentic struggle to make sense of it, and what recovery and healing looks like. Till then, sweet woman, remember you are not alone and that God speaks the most beautiful things in the dark.